Welcome to my podcast, Explain It To Me, where I talk to very intelligent people and get them to explain things to me in the simplest way possible. Hey, before I begin, I'm just curious to know if anybody's checked out the podcast. Why do I say that? It's the father-son duo where they talk about the etymology and history of common phrases and words, and they play the world-famous game of Word or Not a Word. And check out to see if they ever do finally get Mario Lopez to be on their show. Anyways, make sure to check them out. It's a really fun show. I apologize for the quality of this recording. There was a lot of background noise on both of our ends, and I did the best I could to clean it up. But please do enjoy. On today's show, I talked to an Ice Age expert from the Royal Alberta Museum about what the heck is an Ice Age, and are we still currently living in one? Listen and find out. My name is Chris Jazz. I am the curator of Quaternary, or Ice Age Paleontology, at the Royal Alberta Museum. And what are we talking about today? Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Ice Age paleontology. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. When was the last Ice Age? Well, to tell you the truth, we might still be in the midst of an Ice Age. So the, the last Ice Age, uh, geologically, the, the lower boundary for it starts about 26 million years ago. And we have gone through a period of fluctuating climate that has led to advance and retreat of, of glacial ice sheets. And that is pretty much what has characterized uh, the last 2.6 million years of, of geologic time with, uh, you know, with some breaks and pauses in between that we refer to as interglacial period. That's cool. Okay, so I guess you kind of asked my, answer my next question was, how long has this last ice age been? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's possible if we're just looking at, at patterns, uh, it's, it's, we're currently in an interglacial period. And so the, given that pattern, uh, there is you know, the possibility that at some point we go back into one of those glacial cycles. Oh, really? So what, what would cause that to happen? Well, the, that's, a, that's a complicated question that there's probably not a, a single smoking gun answer to. There's a lot of factors that would affect whether or not that happens. But the, one, of the, one of the primary theories uh, in relation to the advance and retreat of glacial ice over the, over the last couple million years relates to forces outside of our control. So it has to do with how the earth moves around the sun. It has to do with how the, the earth is tilted and how the earth rotates on its axis. Those are all factors that affect the climate on our planet. And given those conditions, that, that could have an impact on whether or not we go back into a, another ice cycle. Why did the last ice age start? Uh, basically the same reason. I mean, the, the, the major hypotheses that are, are related to certainly the, the advance and retreat of glacial ice over the, the last couple million years relates to some of those global forcing mechanisms. The position of the Earth relative to the sun and how we're rotating how we're the orbit of the Earth around the sun and the position of the Earth. Those are oh. the primary factors that seem to be correlated with the the onset of those glacial events. Oh, okay, is there like a specific definition of an ice age? Ooh, that's a good question. That is a really good question. Uh, there may be, but uh, hmm. well, yes. I, I, let, let me let me you, you stump me there for a second. There there are 
I guess we could say that there are different definitions for an ice age. Uh, you can define it geologically. There are geologic criteria that uh, that are used to define the you know the beginning of the last ice age. You could probably define it from a climatic perspective, from you know what what was climate doing and how did the climate differ relative to the time period before. So. How you're defining the ice age kind of depends on the the types of questions that you're pursuing as a as a scientist. So from my perspective, the ice age, based on the work that I do, the ice age is characterized by certain types of animals that that are on the landscape and that exist on the planet. I think you know it depends. I guess it depends kind of on the question, but that time frame that I talked about is really it's uh, it's geologically and thematically defined. There are unique geologic occurrences that are happening at the beginning of the ice age, and then it's characterized by the advance and retreat of of glacial ice. It, it kind the definition that that anybody would give you, that any researcher would give you, would kind of depend on what they study. What, you know, whether they're a geologist or a biologist or, you know, a climatologist, perhaps. Would an ice age be kind of like worldwide or is it just like regional based? In terms of the, the ice age that occurred the, over the last 2.6 million years, uh, that would that would have affected climates and, and environments, plants, animals globally. That would have had a global effect. In fact, geologically speaking, that's one of the things that in order to define a particular geologic time period, you need to identify an event that can actually be observed on a global scale. In that sense, then yeah, the ice age, certainly the last ice age is is defined globally it would have it would have impacted the globe so my my knowledge of ice age is so minor my honestly i grew up watching the disney ice age movie where everything was covered in ice how accurate how accurate is that like is i guess at some point during the last ice age would have everything been covered in snow and ice or is that unrealistic that, well, that's that's a little bit unrealistic. I mean, the the furthest extent of glacial ice, and I'll just use North America as an example because that's where I work and that's what I know, uh, would have gotten down into parts of the U.S. But there were definitely parts of the United States that were never covered by by ice. Even in Canada, Canada and Alaska, the last advance of glacial ice. There's a there's a big area of, of the Yukon and Alaska that we call Beringia that was not covered by ice during the last major advance of glacial ice. Now that's in stark contrast to what happened in Alberta, where you know for roughly period between 22,000 years ago and 12,000 years ago, there was either ice covering a good chunk of the province or in close enough proximity that it rendered the landscape uninhabitable. So there were different things going on at different places. The, the Ice Age movies are a, a little extreme, and it's been long enough since, I, since I've seen those movies that I, <laughs> that I can't comment directly on them. But no, the whole planet would not have been covered by ice and snow, but significant portions of, it, of, of the terrestrial landscape would have been. I hope so when, that makes sense. Yes, it does. So okay. when the, when the I, uh, glacial ice was coming in, like you were saying, when like Alberta was being covered, was it a slow process or did it happen quite quickly? You know, that is something that that is continually being investigated. And the most recent work uh, tends to suggest that the, I, there were in Alberta, we had ice coming from northeastern Canada 
that, that came into the province. And then we had ice coming out of the mountains. And for a brief period of time, those two ice sheets coalesced, they merged and, and basically covered the province in ice. Most of the data right, that, that exists right now tends to suggest that that coalescence that period of coalescence was relatively brief. And by brief, you know, geologically brief is different than sort of human reference of, of what brief means. So, but, you know, we're talking hundreds, maybe a few thousand years at most, which is, you know, geologically, that's that's really quite fast. So the, the ice was not, co- it wasn't coalesced for a long period of time. So were there portions of like the ocean that became frozen or was that, or is the ocean so big that it couldn't cool down that enough? Well, actually, you know, a lot of the changes that were, that were happening with respect to oceans. And again, I'm going to use the, I'm going I'm to use sort of a, an example that I know best in terms of, of North America. It's not so much that there would have been, there would have been ice covering the oceans, but you had a lot of water locked up in ice on land. And so what that actually did was it changed sea level. So it opened up land bridges in certain areas. So for instance, uh, there, there were periods of time when parts of Alaska were connected by land to Siberia. And that allowed for the movement of animals back and forth. And one interesting effect of that is, okay, you build a land bridge, but now what you've done is you've blocked oceanic pathways. So where, you know, the, where the Bering Sea exists today, you actually had a big landmass. So that would have separated populations of animals that were occurring in the marine environment while allowing for movement of animals in the terrestrial environment. So it's, I would say it, uh, there was so much ice that was locked up on the land that uh, the sea level actually decreases when you have ice locked up on land like that. So one of the reasons we, you know, sea level has, has been steadily rising is because we're losing ice on land. So what animals were in, because we're in Alberta, we can just specifically talk about Alberta or Western Canada if you want, but what sure. animals were around during the ice age? We had lots of, lots of critters on the landscape and some you'd be familiar with, some that you wouldn't. But let me start with this, uh, this statement. The, in reality, when we study ice age animals, we are, we are studying the modern biota. So everything that you see on the landscape today are you, are you based in Alberta? You're based in Alberta? Either way, Edmonton or Calgary. When you walk out your door today or walk into the river valley or go hiking in the mountains, the animals that you see on the landscape today were around during the last ice age, the last advance of glacial ice. And they were walking around with animals like mammoths and saber-toothed cats, giant short-faced bears, mastodons, giant ground sloth. Uh, those are all animals that inhabited Alberta during the last ice age, but they were here alongside the animals that we see on the landscape today. And from my perspective, that's actually one of the really great things about studying the ice age is that we're able to look at the modern biota from a historical perspective. In reality, we just lose some of these big animals along the way. The most of the extinctions that occur down what we've seen impacted man, animals of a particular body size. So some of the larger animals. So we lose some big animals along the way. But essentially, when we study ice age faunas, we are putting a historical perspective on the animals that roam landscapes today. So are there any animals from the Ice Age that are still around today, or did they all kind of die off? 
Well, yeah, certainly there are. I mean, uh, as I said, pretty much everything on the landscape today was walking around the planet the same time that we had mammoths and mastodons. There's uh, the distributions of many of those animals have changed. We, you know, we, during the ice age, we had camels in Alberta. And, you know, camels, although they've been reintroduced in the form of, of llamas and alpacas, uh, you know, they're not sort of wild inhabitants of the landscapes today. So what we've seen are pretty significant changes in terms of the distribution of some animals. That has changed dramatically. And I'll give you an example. Some of the some of the Ice Age fossils that, that we work on represent animals like caribou and musk oxen. We had populations of caribou and musk oxen in Edmonton area during the Ice Age. Uh, we had musk oxen as far south as Medicine Hat. I've collected a, musk, a tundra musk ox skull from gravel deposits in the Medicine Hat area. The distribution of, of those animals has changed. Uh, the animals that we see on the landscape today has changed dramatically. And then obviously we lose some of the big, the big critters, big iconic animals like mammoths and mastodons. Would that be because of just like a different climate now? The reason we lose those animals? Or, or the, the, well, uh, both. Well, like the okay. distribution and also the reason why we lost. Yeah, like the map. yeah. So one of the things that would have happened in Alberta is as you had that coalescence of ice, we either would have lost populations that lived here or they would have they would have been forced into other areas that weren't glaciated either to the south or to the north. So the, the distributions would have changed dramatically because of the movement of ice across the province. And in some respects, I mean, we can look at the, the, modern, the modern populations of animals here and we can still see that we're sort of rebounding from the impact that the ice had when it came together. There's, you know, populations of animals are fluid and they're dynamic. And we kind of, I think sometimes we think of them as sort of being fixed in space, you know, like, well, grizzly bears occur in the mountains and that's, they've only occurred there. But the reality is there used to be grizzlies out on the, the plains. I mean, different factors will influence the distribution of animals. Certainly when you're talking about animals like musk oxen and caribou, you know, the the retreat of glacial ice and the significant changes uh, in environment that must have taken place as that ice retreated and vegetation communities changed over that would have an impact on where some of those animals were in the past and where they are today. Let's see, what was the, the other component, component of the question was uh, about why we lose some of the animals. And there's really, I, I would say, two major theories that have been debated over the years. There's some, there's some others that have been proposed, but the two major hypotheses for the loss of some of the Ice Age megafauna uh, have to do with rapid environmental change happening as that ice was receding. Uh, that certainly could have had an impact. If you know, if you're if you eat a certain type of vegetation, and all of a sudden the environment is changing, and the communities that supply the vegetation that you that you as a as a critter you know prefer or get your most benefit from, if that's changing, that could have an effect on populations. The other major hypothesis is that you know around 13,000 years ago, people become well established in North America. When exactly populations got here is still a huge debate. It's a it's a hot it's still a hot topic and it has been for for some time. But I, I think we can reasonably say that by 13,000 years ago you have you have pretty decent evidence that human populations are becoming widespread in North America. 
And uh, it's thought that possibly humans had something to do with the loss of some of the megafauna by coming in and, and you know, it's a new, you're introducing a new predator. Uh, so that definitely could have had an impact. I actually don't think it's, it's necessarily one or the other. I think, it, I think for each individual animal, we have to kind of consider what factors may have led to the extinction. So I'll give you an example. Mammoths. Mammoths are very similar to elephants, and we think that they probably reproduced at the same rate that elephants. So elephants reproduce once every two, two and a half years. That's a pretty slow reproduction rate. So if you have a new predator coming in that is taking individuals out of a population that reproduces really slowly, that may already be stressed because of environmental changes going, that's going to have a big impact on those populations. So I think, you know, it's entirely plausible that humans had a significant impact on the, the loss of animals like mammoths. I don't think it explains the loss of animals like horses or camels. Those are animals that reproduce at roughly the same rates that bison do. And bison, you know, becomes sort of the iconic animal that we, we see on Western landscapes. So why did we lose horses and camels? It doesn't make sense to me that humans would have had a dramatic effect on those populations in the same way they could have affected mammoths. But it's something that we continue to test and that we continue to, to try to evaluate. That's when, what makes my job fun. <laughs> when did the camels and horses live here. Camels and horses were here till about 10,000 years ago. And in fact, one of the interesting things about Alberta is, you know, we kind of we kind of think about Alberta as being a place that's characterized by bison. I mean, bison are such an important part of the Great Plains as a whole of Western North America. But in reality, before that, the last advance of glacial ice, we've got really good evidence from the Edmonton area that horses were probably the dominant animal on the landscape. So Think about an Alberta that is teeming with populations of horses instead of populations of bison. That's what the fossil record tends to suggest. And what's interesting about that is after the, the ice leaves, we do see horses come back to Alberta, but populations of bison just take off. And we don't have a, a specific answer for why that occurs. I have a colleague uh, down in California who's who's put forth a hypothesis that suggests that it may have something to do with how those animals process food different. So with an animal like a horse, they eat a lot of food, but a lot of good stuff comes out the back end. They're really inefficient feeders. Bison are ruminants. So what they take in, they process, and then they regurgitate it chew it up some more, and it goes back in. So they're sort of maximizing the benefit of, of what they're eating versus what a horse might do. So his hypothesis essentially says that bison, because of their ability to get more efficiency out of what they're taking in, we're actually able to succeed and do better than an animal like a horse in the face of some of the environmental changes that were, yeah, it's a really, it's a really compelling hypothesis. It's one that's a little more difficult to test. We're still sort of wrestling with, okay, how do you, how do you actually test that? <laughs> but it's compelling. I think it's a really compelling hypothesis. Um, were those horses from that time much different than the current horses? They would have been, they would have been similar in size and shape to wild horses in Asia. I think considerably smaller than like some of our draft horses or our work horses in Alberta. But in terms of, you know, in terms of morphology of the skeleton, it's, it, it's similar, just smaller. Okay. So, um, and then the horses that we have now, they're from Europe, right? Like they were brought over 
from yes. Europe or something like that? Yeah, the, there is some debate about that. There's a bit of debate about that amongst different communities, but I will say that we have no evidence of horses in Alberta from the time that they went extinct roughly 10,000 years ago until more recent times. So it would have been post-European reintroduction of horses. Some people, some people are, how do I say this? Some people, I don't want to say believe, but some people hypothesize that there may have been populations of horses that actually survived the Ice Age and persisted in North America. But as of now, there's no real good evidence, either genetically or from the paleontological record that supports that. Oh, interesting. Were cows native to North America or were they? Cows were, were introduced. And in fact, bison, bison, bison are a relatively recent occupant of North American landscapes. The earliest bison come into, at least the earliest known records right now, place bison coming across the land bridge into North America around 200,000 years ago. So really? bison and that group of animals would have originated old world, where, whereas animals like horses and camels actually originated in North America. Okay, so this is going to be a dumb question. Are there bison in like, I'm assuming like Russia then? is the, That would be the path they came from. So would there be bison in Russia like currently? There, you know what, that's a, that's a good question. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if there's still populations in Russia and if they are there where they're at, but there are certainly old world populations of bison. Yeah, there are still, there are still old world populations. Um, I just don't know enough about how they're distributed across the the old world to give you a specific answer on that. Okay. Was there ever any like Siberian tigers that made it across? And if not, do you have an idea why they wouldn't come across? There were not Siberian tigers, like the ones that are living today. No, those did not make it into North America. There were cave lions that made it into North America. So there were, you know, sort of size equivalents of African lions that were distributed throughout Asia. And those made it into, certainly made it into North America. It is interesting, some of the animals that, you know, got close to North America, but didn't actually come across. Uh, One of my favorites is the woolly rhinoceros. There were woolly rhinos uh, living in eastern eastern and western Siberia, and uh, they come right up to the border, but never make it into North America. There are some interesting occurrences like that. In going the other way, we had ground sloths that made it from South and Central America up into Alberta, and then into the Yukon and Alaska, but never made it across the land bridge the other way. And it could have something to do with the you know when those animals were actually moved. Moving, moving across the landscape. One of the things that we've started to see really good evidence of and really strong support for is that some of these animals were moving during the interglacial period. So if you're moving during an interglacial period, then that land bridge is closed right. because you don't have all the ice wrapped up on land. Sea level is higher. So some of those animals like the ground sloth going the other way probably was only up in these parts during interglacial time frames. And during those glacial periods, the environment was just wrong. The, you know, the vegetation that they consume wasn't available to them. Uh, so it, you would have, you know, you would have a similar effect coming the other way as well. Oh, okay, that's cool. I, for some reason, I don't ever think about that, that side of it, like the animals starting here and going there. I mean, it's one 
one of those things I think, you know, you probably like all of us, you know, grew up looking at guidebooks or, or, or distributional maps that go, you know, oh, this is where these animals live. We've got, you know, five data points and we've drawn a circle around where these animals live. But in reality, you know, we need to think about the, the movements of animals as it's a dynamic, right? It just with as with people, if there's, you know, if there's an opportunity for us to go someplace and, and do well and thrive, we do that as humans. Animals are no different. If there's a, a good raspberry bush over there that I can get to and something's not going to eat me on my way to it, it doesn't matter. You know, it's outside that boundary that we've drawn in a book, right? <laughs> you said the humans were here roughly 13,000 years Yeah. Ago. The earliest record that we have in Alberta is, you know, roughly 13,000 years ago. There are some older sites up in the, well, they're older, but they're contentious. There are some sites in, I think, Central and South America that have been radiocarbon dated that are a bit older. So we're, I mean, there's at least some evidence that some human populations were here prior to that. But I would say that we can pretty definitively say that by 13,000 years ago, humans were well-established on North American land. Cool. And they came over on that Bering land bridge then? Yes. Okay, that's yep. cool. So they would have just, I guess, yeah, just followed the animals then, or like kind of like what you were saying, like hollering kind of following food? Yeah, most likely. I mean, who knows? I'm not sure that we can specifically, you know, give a reason why people have always done what they do. I mean, I think sometimes people just do random stuff. They, <laughs> you know, they go explore, right? Yeah. We, you know, we do... We do some strange things for for reasons that only individuals or or can know. But you're you're not going to go exploring in areas where you can't make a living, so to speak, where you right. can't survive. So if there you know if there are populations of animals that are available to hunt and eat, and you know populations are growing, well maybe that you know maybe the growth of populations had an impact on the movement of people. But yeah, at the end of the day, you're going to go to places where there's resource or at least try to go to places where there's resources that you'll be able to survive. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes we get, we get a little too narrow in our perspective of sort of what, what drives people to, to go do things. So I, I don't know that there's, I don't know that we can say there's, you know, well, it's, it's, it's simply because people were following populations of animals. That certainly would have been a factor in it, but uh, it, other, other things could have been in play. As well. Okay. That's cool. So how did like the Ice Age kind of affect the landscape of the world? I'm assuming yeah. it would probably be like the glaciers growing and then receding. Yeah. Would that, would that have affected the landscape at all? Absolutely. Everything that we see in Alberta, actually pretty much everything that we see in Canada today with a, with a couple of minor exceptions is impacted by the movement of glacial ice. Just drive around Alberta. A lot of the, the lakes that we have are remnants of, you know, the advance and retreat of glacial ice. A lot of the gravel deposits that I work in that we get Ice Age fossils out of are related to the movement of glacial ice and the processes associated with the, with the melting of that ice. The position of the rivers in the province today are partially influenced by the movement of ice. So, I mean, I, when you drive across Alberta, the entirety of the landscape is shaped by the ice age. What you see, you know, the little hills that you drive over in central Alberta, the valleys that you drive down when you're in the mountains, those are all the, you know, the way they are because of impacts of ice. 
Okay, so I'm assuming like the ice would have flattened portions of the land to create the prairies kind of thing. Well, the the the, the prairies would have been there, but that's much of the undulating topography that we okay. see in the province is related to glaciers. You know, um, think about, you know, going to visit the Columbia ice field. I'm sure that most people living in Alberta have gone to visit the Columbia ice field. And you see, you know, those big moraines that that are, are, are essentially rocks, piles of, of rock and and sediment that have been dropped where it is because it was wrapped up in ice and as the ice melted you build these piles of of rock and sediment so a lot of the undulating landscapes that we see in alberta are you know result from those kinds of processes oh that's neat and how did that affect like plant life and stuff like that like were there the plant life we see today was it always those kind of plants or were there different plants before the ice age well and i mean the plants that we see today certainly would have been around during the ice age but the there would have been changes in the in the communities and i i i won't go too far into this because it's not really my area of expertise but but i'll give you an example so one of the things that we find really strong evidence of in the edmonton area uh in some of the deposits that we work in is evidence of abundant black spruce so like black spruce was a big component of the the landscapes in and around Edmonton 30, 35, 40,000 years ago. Not quite as big part of the landscape today. So you definitely would have would have had changes in in vegetation. Actually, my my neighbor in the in the office next door that is kind of her wheelhouse. She's the expert on the vegetation side of things. So I won't I, I won't go too far down that road because I'll probably just say something that's incorrect. So <laughs> that's yeah, there, there would have been there would have been significant changes in in the types of vegetation or certainly in the types of vegetation that were in particular areas. We we've definitely seen a shifting in vegetation community. So how did the the ice age affect the planet long term? Is that something that we know about or is that something that Well, I mean I, I think it I mean you could say that that in many ways it's still it's still affecting the planet. Right. The, I believe that you had one of my colleagues from the ornithology department on a podcast not too long ago. And, yeah. and uh, you know, some of the work that he does with modern populations of birds, you know, some of that work has to do with populations coming back together that were separated to the east and to the west or to the north and to the south by the presence of those ice sheets. So in many ways, we're still we're still rebounding from biologically. We're rebounding from the impacts of the ice age. Uh, it certainly affects the landforms that you see all across Canada. Uh, as I said, you know, you drive across Canada, and the reason you're going up over some of the little hills that you go up are because of the effects of ice. The reason that you have some of the lakes that we have to go boating on or to go fishing are because of the effects of that glacial ice. So yeah, absolutely. We still, you know, it's still, it impacts, you know, something that happened 10, 20,000 years ago uh, very much affects how we live our lives today. So how much of life was able to survive the, the, all the glacier stuff? Like, was there a large, large populations of both animals, humans, and plant life that got wiped out? Well, the, the main impacts in terms of species losses had to do with the, with Ice Age megafauna. So, and that's something that's unique about the Ice Age extinctions is that it affected animals of a particular body size for the most part. There are very few 
instances where small mammals actually went extinct during the during the ice age. It really affected some of the larger bodied animals, like mammoths, mastodons, giant ground sloths, woolly rhinos, saber-toothed cats. So a lot of the big herbivores and then carnivores that would have eaten those herbivores were affected. I'm sorry, I don't know if that answered your question. Can you ask the question again? Do we know if how much of life on the planet was wiped out because of bison? I would have to go, boy, off the top of my head. I know, I know there's a list of the number of species that we lost. I don't have it right on the tip of my tongue, but uh, I'm going to say just ballparking it between between 50 and 100 species lost. Am I wrong about that? No, I think that's I think that's a reasonable ballpark. If you gave me two minutes, I could go grab a book off a shelf and I could give you a specific answer, but that that gives you at least some sense. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then and then I'm assuming that because of that, that allowed like other species to thrive a little bit better. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's actually something that that we don't talk about too much when it comes to or we don't talk about as much when it comes to extinction. But one of the things to think about with the with what was going on during the ice age is you know, you have sea level rising and falling, you have ice advancing and retreating, and that's resulting in animals, you know being in, in geologic terms, fairly constant flux in terms of moving and changing distributions, which means you're going to be introducing new populations of animals that could have, a, that they could be utilizing the same resources as animals that are already in a spot. So competition actually could have been a factor in terms of extinction. So the example I gave about, you know, horses and uh, bison earlier, I mean, that bison arrived only 200,000 years ago. And, and it just took the, the right conditions for them to, you know, have some sort of competitive advantage that allowed them to reproduce more successfully than animals like horses and camels. So what could we learn from the, the Ice Ages? Well, I think that is one of the great things about studying the Ice Age. I mentioned earlier that when we study the Ice Age, we're really studying the, the modern biota. And in that sense, because like I said, everything that's on the planet today was kicking around the planet at the same time that there were mammoths and mastodons here. Uh, they may have been in different spots, but they were on, on the planet. And I think places like Alberta in particular are really uniquely placed to provide us a historical perspective on how animals respond to major ecosystem disturbance. I can't think of a much bigger ecosystem disturbance than, you know, glacial ice moving across the province and rendering the landscape uninhabitable. So one of the things that myself and others are, are pursuing here is to try to understand, you know, how we go from nothing on the landscape when the, when the ice was here to what you see on the landscape today. And that actually informs us about how populations of animals respond to landscape change. It, or to ecological disturbance in a significant way, I think. It, it gives us a historical perspective that may actually allow us to make predictions about how animal populations in the future will respond to ecosystem disturbance. So that, you know, for my money, that is actually the, the power of studying the Ice Age, is we actually can, you know, by coalescing all these data, we can start to understand how animals respond to major ecosystem disturbances and potentially predict how animals in the future will respond to ecosystem disturbance. Could we use the ice ages to predict future weather at all? 
Well, we can. Yeah, absolutely. You can. And that's early on in the podcast. I mentioned that, you know, we're probably in an interglacial period. And that is sort of based on predictions that would suggest that, you know, given no significant changes to certain factors like ocean circulation patterns and such, that we are going to be headed back into another cold period. So yeah, I think we can use the those historical data to to look at where we might be going and we can look for deviations that are that may be occurring that might point us a, a different direction with respect to climate and environment. So if we go into another period of cold time, like you're saying, like how cold would it get? Well, I mean, that's a good question. And I'm not sure that I'm the right guy to answer that. <laughs> but, but I mean... Yeah, you know what? I'm going to punt on that one. It's okay. That's fine. It's not really my area of expertise, and I'm 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 probably just going to get a lot of people riled up with my answer. So, <laughs> so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna punt on that. One. Okay, that's that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but it is so, predicted that we could go into another cold time, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look back at the what is it from around the 1500s to the 1800s we actually had a uh, there was a period of time that we refer to as the little ice age where where montane glaciers in Europe were actually growing uh, significantly so we absolutely can you know it's entirely possible that we will go through perturbations in the environment in in climate that are going to take us into colder times there's so many factors that influence that. And that, like I said, that's not, that's not my area of expertise. Uh, so I don't know, you know, given this factor versus that factor, what the, what the likelihood of that may be. I mean, a lot has changed certainly in the last three to 400 years on the planet. But yes, geologically, uh, it, 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 it's certainly something that, that we might be able to predict given certain conditions. So what is your favorite Ice Age animal? Oh, my favorite Ice Age animal. Wow, that's a good one. I, there, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give you one herbivore and one carnivore. I've got to go with mammoths for my favorite Ice Age herbivore. That's simply because I got interested in the Ice Age because I started working at a little museum in South Dakota where I grew up. And it was a, it was actually a natural trap that at least, I think the, the number is up to around 60 now, at least 60 mammoths got trapped in a sinkhole. So my, my love affair with mammoths started when I was an undergraduate in college working as a tour guide at this museum in South Dakota. When it comes to Ice Age carnivores, I got to go with a giant short-faced bear. So giant short-faced bears are closely, more closely related to South American spectacled bears than they are to grizzly bears or, or black bears. Uh, but they were six feet high, stood about six feet high when they were down on all four legs, 10 to 12 feet high on their hind two legs. And sometimes when I'm out hiking on the prairies, you know, just picturing either a mammoth or a short-faced bear coming up over one of those little hill slopes does my imagination and does my heart good. So those are probably my favorite too. So. When did when did those bears live? Uh, they were here till about 10,000 years ago. So. Okay, so there was some human bear overlap there. Absolutely. That yeah, would have been absolutely. terrifying. 
Yeah, I mean, we had some pretty scary carnivores on the landscape. You had giant short-faced bears, although they they may have been more omnivorous. There's a lot of debate about that, but uh, they still would have been intimidating to see on the landscape. You had saber-toothed cats, you had dirk-toothed cats, you had American lions, which are size equivalents of African lions that were roaming around Alberta till about 10,000 years ago. So there were some really impressive carnivores on the landscape. You know, we think grizzly bears are impressive. Now think about a landscape with multiple, multiple large carnivores on it. It must have been an amazing place to exist and a challenging place to exist. Any speculation onto what caused them to die off? Probably the loss of the big herbivores. You lose that prey base. Um, it's possible, again, competition may have played a factor in that as brown bears and black bears come into North America. That may have had an impact. Yeah, competition, and but the loss of what was probably a primary source of food is probably a big factor. Um, so that's all my questions. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I, I mean, I think we covered a lot of ground there. Other than to say that, you know, I, I would hope that someday when we uh, when we can do so again, that uh, people can come up and visit us here at the museum. We have, a, we have a pretty cool display of some of these Ice Age megafauna that occurred in Alberta during the Ice Age and a really nice artist reconstruction of what we think the Edmonton area looked like about 45,000 years ago with mammoths and mastodons and short-faced bears on the landscape. So yeah, put a plug in for the for the museum. Uh, it uh, is. A, it's a nice museum. I've only, I was only able to get in a couple times before the pandemic hit, but it is a really nice museum. I like it. Good, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So yeah. uh, the only other thing that I'll add is that because there's not a lot of us that do this type of work in Alberta and it's a big province. So uh, one of the things that I always like to emphasize with folks is that, you know, when you're out on the landscape, when you're out hiking, and you see something that, you know, you see bone. Think about, you know, where they're at. If you see bones laying in a farmer's field, yeah, they're probably old cow bones. If you're walking along the Bow River in Calgary, or you're walking along the North Saskatchewan in Edmonton, and you see bones coming out of the wall of the bank, yeah, you might have found something from the Ice Age. You know, give a, take a picture, record where it's at, and uh, give us a shout. We're always happy to come out and, and look at stuff. Actually, a lot of the collections that we have at the museum and a lot of the work that we do is because the public, or we work a lot with folks in the sand and gravel industry. Folks in the sand and gravel industry have brought fossil material to our attention. So a lot of the record, a lot of what we know is because of people who are out hiking the landscape and working on the landscape. Yeah, I'll throw that out there as a plug to try to generate more stuff coming into the collection. Okay, cool. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, you bet. You Have bet. a great day. Yep. Thanks, Stephen. Well, that was neat. Who knew that Disney movies weren't that accurate? Jeez. Anyways, hope you enjoyed. And I do suggest checking out the Royal Alberta Museum once it's safe to do so. It is a very cool place. Anyways, hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening.